from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio and we are powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM Channel 111. Hey, if it is Thursday, noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, we are live. Dream Team in Studio 844-WHARTON-844-942-7866. And today on Career Talk, it is open calls. Call about anything you like regarding careers, job search, promotions, raises, whatever's on your mind. We want to hear from you. Michelle and Dion are in the studio. 844-WHARTON-844-942-7866. I'm Dr. Don Graham. I'm your host. and I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives right here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. And today on Career Talk, we are going to be talking about 2018 trends in job search and career. And if you've got a question, we are here all hour to take your call at 844-WHARTON-844-942-7866. So it's 2018. There are many positive things cooking on the job front. Unemployment is expected to remain low, hovering around 4%, but not every industry is going to grow. So on today's show, find out what's hot and what's not in the job search and careers. And to help us with that, we welcome back crowd favorite Ross McPherson. Ross is the president of CareerQuest. He's a certified interview and job search coach and recognizes one of the best resume writers in North America. Ross has spoken extensively across the U.S., Canada, and Asia, and he's also been here to speak to our executive MBAs right here at Wharton, so we're excited to have him back on Career Talk. Hi, Ross. Hello. How are you? I'm well, and I have to tell you, I have to start off with a quick story because I don't think I I told you this, but... uh, so each week I, I send out a blog, and in the blog I, I talk about who's going to be on the show for next week. And I get an email yesterday from my mom, and she's like, "Yay, Ross McPherson, my favorite." <laughs> I love your mom already. <laughs> hey, she she loves you too. So oh, quick, that's awesome. quick shout out to mom. So, but my mom's not the only one. You are a crowd favorite here on Career Talk, and for good reason because you always have great advice to share with the listeners. Which is why today we're doing open calls all hour long. You can ask us anything you like on resumes, LinkedIn, your job search, careers, promotions. We are here to help. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So I thought we'd start out with a few kind of trends in the workplace and kind of what's going on. And we'll sort of weave those throughout the entire hour. But I know every time you're here, Ross, I always ask you, what's new with resumes? And you always tell me, nope, still need a resume. It's <laughs> exactly true. You still need a resume. So, so, um, so you still need a resume. And even the, the structure and, and a lot of the things on the resume really haven't changed drastically. Now, there are still people who are writing some things that are outdated. Like if you're not using accomplishments and you're still using a job description mode, you need yeah. to update that. You, you need to do a profile at the top. You need to, to really clean up any of the extra information that's not really adding. But, but let's talk about a couple of things that I think still confuse people today. Ross, one or two pages. A lot of people ask us this question. Is it, is it right or wrong to have, have two pages? Do I need to have one? What are your thoughts on this? Um, you hit the, sort of the nail on the head. That's probably the number one thing. It's, it's one of those sort of, there's a really common sort of idea of bad advice out there where it has to be this or it has to be that. I would say that the vast majority, two pages is probably okay. Um, there are certain industries, um, that said, there are certain industries where they do prefer and expect to see one page. Like, you know, I've I've done resumes for, you know, investment banking um, on Wall Street. They still, it doesn't matter if you're senior vice president with 25 years experience, they still prefer one page. So I really, I would recommend to your, to your listeners, it's really know the industry you're in. And, and there are certain industries where they have sort of an expectation. If you're, you know, when you get into law or academia or medicine, sometimes they'll, they'll even expect 10 or 12 page resumes and beyond because they want to see more of a CV format. But the vast majority, I think you're safe with two solid pages. Um, I would say there was a time I used to do three pages for senior executives, and that, those days have kind of gone by the wayside. They really do want one or two. That seems to be the vast majority. Yeah, and, and there's, I mean, there's research on this. I, I recently got an email from account, temp, account temps who've done yeah. surveys on this, and basically they found that half of managers and hires want to see two pages, half want to see one page. Yeah. So. 
So it's it's kind of basically what you're saying is know your audience, which I think is great advice across the board, whether you're giving a presentation, you're interviewing, you're writing a resume, you're writing a book, whatever you're doing, knowing your audience is only going to help you. And we're going to go right away to John in Oregon. John, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Good morning. How are you all today? Good morning. Good morning. Good. Um, I'm in a situation, this is the second job I've been in where I work for a boss. Um, who likes to take credit for my work that I put forward and use it as his or her own. I was wondering if there's any advice that you can give me or any listeners in the same situation to, number one, try to see that during the interview process, you know, who you're interviewing with, if, if there's anything that you can tell from that process that you may be put in that situation, and number two, how to deal with that situation while you're in it. Yeah. So, okay. So tell us a little bit more, John. Can you tell us what industry you're in? Um, consulting. You're in consulting. And so how, how is it that your boss takes credit? Like what, in what format? Um, so if I do a, a large project, um, for a client, um, and I'll, I'll put in, you know, 50, 60 hours worth of work in a, in a week and present it and say, look, it's done. He says, great. I'll take it from here, and there will be teleconferences about the project afterwards. Uh, he'll submit it to the client afterwards as well, um, where in all those conversations, I'll say, hey, shouldn't I be included on this conversation since I'm the one that did the work and I understand the method? And it is a simple no. Stay back. Okay, so that was going to be my next question, which is, have you asked to be involved? So, so two-part question. So, Ross, the first question is, how do you know in the interview? And I think this is this is a tough one yeah. because just in the same way candidates will put their best put forward in an interview, so will bosses a lot of times. So I don't think you're going to find somebody who says, yes, I intend for you to do 90% of the work and I'm going to take it the last 10% of the way. Are you okay with that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which, which would be great. And you can certainly ask questions around what's your management style. But again, I, I, I think people can have a canned answer to these that, that may or may not be true. So some of the questions you might want to ask in the interview that I like are really around um, the culture of the organization. So you might ask questions about what happened to the person who was in this role previously and, and you're looking for things like, well, they got promoted to the next level or you know, things of that nature. So that's one you can ask. Another is, how are people rewarded here? Which is just really a simple question about, and, and they can answer it any way they want. And I think the beauty of some of these questions is that they're very open-ended. So if you know you give them sort of a leash to either hang themselves or have a good answer versus saying something very specific. Ross, do you have any other questions for the interview part? And then we'll address the second part of your question, John. Yeah, that one's, that one's tough. You're absolutely right. Um, Don is absolutely right that it's really sort of hard because they're going to be putting their best foot forward as well. Sometimes, depending on how the interview process goes, um, I mean, if you're only being interviewed by you know, the superiors and HR and so forth, it's really tough to sort of get a gauge on that unless you ask the sort of culture questions Don referred to. Um, but if you are in a situation where you get to actually meet some of your potential colleagues, and some of those are in panel interviews, sometimes you can even do a walk around and meet people, and you can ask them questions like, you know, tell me about, you know, the, the environment here, and tell me about how, you know, how would you describe the sort of culture here, and you just get a sense from them. And I'll be honest with you, I'm sure Don can confirm this, if you're in a in sort of a, a group or a panel interview, and you'd sort of drop a question that makes people, you know, something like, you know, how would you describe the culture here? And you see people sort of look at each other. I, I should say, but sometimes even just a two or second, two or three second glance among people, all of a sudden you realize, okay, there's something, there's something here. Um, yes. It's just, you just get almost like a sixth sense for it. It's really hard to get to the, to the bottom of that. I understand the situation you're in. The other one I just wanted to throw in there is sometimes, I mean, again, talk to people. If you're at the if you're at the stage of um, of you know possibly accepting a role, talk to people, find out through your network. You use LinkedIn to kind of connect to people who can tell you a little bit more of what it's like on the inside. Go to go to Glassdoor.com and see if there's some insight there. Just do a little bit of research, but it's a tough one to to nail before you say yes. It is a tough one. Yeah, and Ross, you brought up a good point, uh, John. If they're not letting you meet with sort of peers outside of of 
the hiring manager, that's an interesting sign. I think you can ask for it if they don't offer it. But that's one of the things when I would hire people on my team, I'd say, go to coffee with, with two or three people on my team. You can talk about anything you want. You can learn anything you want about me because I want to know you're a good match for the team and for my management style. So you should have that opportunity to talk to people kind of offline who are who are subordinates. The other thing I would say is that in some cultures, consulting is one of them. Depending on what type of firm you work for, there is this kind of very level-oriented, like you, you do your work, you get to the next level. You do your work, you get to the next level. And, and it is known that the partner level are the ones who kind of get the glory and, and that the, the staff and the senior you know, junior people are, are doing the work. So it could be a cultural thing based on the organization. But once you're in, now it becomes more tricky because now you see it happening. And I think step one you've already taken, which is, can I join you at the meeting? And you've gotten a no. So what you might want to do is set up a separate conversation and talk about you know, the answer to why. Why can I join you at the meeting? And again, it could be a cultural thing in, in the consulting world, and you're still going to get the credit because you'll move up just as, as the levels dictate. Or if it's something that you know is, is individual to this person, they are probably not going to change, and you might need to look for a different, a different boss. Ross, any, any additional thoughts on that? Um, I, I would say, yeah, I mean, just to sort of tag on to the end of that, if, if you're not going to get the credit internally, and this does happen, I mean, you know, it, it, it might be a little bit of the consulting role, but it does happen in other organizations as well. But if you're not going to be getting the credit that you deserve and you have to start, I mean, you know, worst case scenario, you have to kind of look and go, I've, I've ridden this as long as I can. I think I've got to look for other opportunities where I can grow a little bit more and expand and get recognized. What I would recommend you do before you do that is make certain if you're not getting recognized for it internally where you are, create what I call your own brag file. And you keep track of every, all of the great work and contributions that you're doing so that you can carry them forward to the next interview, the net, next networking, the next opportunity. Um, that's all I would recommend. Otherwise, yeah, if, if you can manage it there, awesome. If you have to move on, that might be, that might be, that might be plan B. John, thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. We really appreciate it. Hey, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. So again, motivated Ross comes out top on the list for the most overused word on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> so so quick tip for 2018. If you have the word motivated and while we're at it, results-oriented, team player, able to or responsible for you, time to clean up your LinkedIn. And Ross can help you with that, right, Ross? Absolutely. And please don't use the word orientated. <laughs> that one actually that one actually will ruin my day. <laughs> don't ruin, don't ruin Ross's exist. day. The word does not exist. Do not ruin Ross's day by using non words. Eight four four word and eight four four nine four two seven eight six six Madeline in Tennessee. Welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Hey, good morning. So I am about to go through an interview process, a tiered interview process for an executive position in a healthcare field. And the um, frontline staff are actually going to be part of the interview process in the the next selection phase. So there are, uh, and we all manage some of the staff that's going to be on this panel. So how do I balance um, the staff, frontline staff questions that they're going to have at the same so, Madeline, you're breaking up just a little, so I'm going to try and piece together that question just to make sure we have it right. So if I'm hearing you, you're going for an interview in a healthcare role. You're going to be in a panel interview, and there are going to be both senior individuals, maybe staff, and maybe colleagues who are on that panel that you're going to be interviewing with all at once. Is that Did I get that? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, and so your your specific question about that is how do you how do you handle that? So okay, so there's gonna be a number of people on the panel. I mean, there's there's the basic things about try and get to know your audience, which we talked about before, is to understand who's going to be there, what roles they're in, and what levels they're at. My sense is that that part of the reason they're doing this is so that the team could get to meet you all at once. There's a couple of things to consider. Obviously, they're going to be asking you questions. And you're going to have to be prepared for them. But the second part of that is you want to be able to ask questions that make sense for this group. So one of the things I would suggest you do is prepare a number of questions for different levels of the staff. So you might have questions for people who are in your role or similar role about the day-to-day. And you might have questions for for people who are more executive. Now, I, I couldn't tell from your 
initial lead up to the question if you're going to have opportunities to meet with people individually. And I'm kind of hoping you will because it's going to be very difficult in the amount of time you likely have to get all of your questions addressed as well as address all of their questions. Um, Ross, do you have any any further insights for Madeline? Uh, well, you know, the only thing that occurred to me was... Um, you know, Madeline, if you've if you've got that kind of background, you've got that kind of senior level um, executive leadership type of experience behind you in healthcare. You know what it's like when you have to meet with your executive team and then turn around and deal with subordinates and people that are reporting to you. And there is a best version of of who you are, Madeline, when you're at your most professional, most polished leader, and so forth. That's the version you need in that room. And if there is, you know, the CEO sitting there. Um, or whomever, um, right next to a person who is two levels below you. Um, Yes, they're coming at this from two different places, but there is, and I know you've already been there in your work before, there is that version of you that that has been in those situations before, that best executive, polished, professional, dynamic, vivacious kind of person. That's the person they need to see, and it will appeal to the executives because you're going to give them the content they need to hear, and you're going to appeal in that same approachable way to that subordinate because you've been in that situation before. I say just bring the very best version of yourself in the room and don't think too much about how do I manage such a diverse audience. I'm sure you've had to do it before. And that's why, Ross, you are a crowd favorite. Well <laughs> said. 844-942-7866. Madeline, thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk. And we all have our fingers and toes crossed for you yep. in that interview. So, okay, we're talking about trends for 2018. So another one that came up, which I thought was interesting, is we already know social media is big on the the recruiting and hiring scene. Of course, LinkedIn is is usually the first place people go to, but Facebook is actually starting to take over. And for one key reason, Facebook has well over a billion users, whereas LinkedIn is hovering around 500 million. So recruiters are actually starting to go more to Facebook. Which is interesting because I know a lot of people are are starting to step away from Facebook. But I think the takeaway message there, Ross, is to clean up your Facebook. (laughs) Yes, yes, I would recommend that. One thing that not many people are aware of is you can go through your your Facebook timeline. And if there is anything, let's just call it questionable, um, in terms of a post or, or a comment or something like that, if you go up into the top right corner of the post, it doesn't matter how old it is, you can edit it and you can, if there's a little globe, there, it means that it was a public post and anyone can find it. All you need to do is go up, go up there and edit it and take it from public to friends. And then only your friends will see it. Um, and that's one way to go and clean things up. Or you can delete the whole post entirely. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with the delete. And the reason <laughs> being is when you think about the math, think about even if you hide things or put things as private or friends only, chances are one of your friends know somebody else who may be in that organization. And as somebody who's hired a number of people, I've I've found it pretty easy to get to data through other friends. And this is not illegal. I mean, I know a lot of people are sitting there saying, that's not fair and it's not out there for that purpose. But the fact is, is that it's fair game. It's out there online and recruiters are using it because they want to make sure they're hiring people. And as we talked about earlier in the show, Ross, it's really simple to go into an interview and put your best foot forward when there's a lot more beneath the iceberg to dig into. So something you might want to be aware of, 844-WARDEN, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM, Channel 111. You can also tweet at Dr. Don Graham. We are here with Ross McPherson, crowd favorite, and it's open call Thursday. So if it's noon Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific, we are taking your calls on any and all job search and career questions all hour long, 844-942-7866. So another thing... Ross, that's that's kind of in your world is digital resumes. I, I yeah. see this every year come up on the the new trends, but I'm I'm not seeing this being a very common way for organizations to hire. No, uh, it still hasn't really um, landed in the same way that that people have predicted. I mean, this is this is going back. I remember in around the year 2000, people were talking about you know web based resumes and everything will be digital and everything. And no, you still. They still want, there's still that sort of traditional, it hasn't sort of caught up. Resumes change, they have go through sort of changes and trends and so forth. And I will say that, you know, some of the technology um, advances in some aspects of LinkedIn and so forth, they've modified the role resumes have. They sort of morph and, and evolve into different things, but it's still, the resume you need is still the resume you need. Mm-hmm. It, it really, the digital resume you don't necessarily need. Another very, po- very popular one um, are these very highly graphic resumes. 
They're sort of one page. There's charts all over them. There's, there's websites that do them, and they look amazing. They can really look dynamic because it's all visual and so forth. Um, the only downside is that not every company is set up to receive them and read them and put them through their you know, character recognition and, and keyword sort of scanning software. So as much as they look awesome, and if you want one, they're great for networking. Um, but again, the market is not entirely set up for them yet. So I don't think the time is quite right yet to call that your number one resume. Yeah, no, but I like the idea. You, you still oh, yeah. need the traditional resume, mm-hmm. but I like that you brought that up because one of the trends that seems to continue to grow is, is having a personal website or adding media to your LinkedIn. Yeah. So if you do have one of those digital resumes or the infographic resume, you can actually add that to your online presence wherever you have an online presence so that it's something additional. And I like that too. We talked earlier about one page versus two page resumes. And, you know, I think one thing we need to say about that is regardless if you choose one page or two page, you want every word on there to count. So you don't want fluff. And so looking through and combing through, I always say you don't want your good stuff to get in the way of your great stuff. So if you have some things that you may be like, all right, these are okay and these are good. And I, I think these are applicable, maybe you add them to your LinkedIn profile or to your, your personal website or professional website and keep the resume to one page. So just something else to think about. Mm-hmm. So another trend that I've seen actually a lot of places is the use of artificial intelligence in the hiring process. And this one's getting a little dicey because there actually are some studies that are, are starting to show and, and I say very early because I'm not, I definitely don't agree with this and I haven't seen the detailed information, but that Machines are doing a better job at picking employees, and they're basing this on the fact that that machine-selected employees last about 15% longer in the company than human-picked. What are your thoughts on that? I'm hearing similar things. I'm hearing more and more. I haven't heard the 15% one, but I have heard more and more companies are doing that. I know you and I in the past have spoken on on video interviewing, Um, and I actually just did a workshop just a couple nights ago. Um, on video interviewing and, and how to do well at it. And the, the numbers are coming, the more and more companies are going that way. And the software that they're using, like a company like Goldman Sachs, for example, it's all digital now. It's an entirely video-based interview process, 100% end-to-end. And they do have machine learning and AI on the other end. Um, these very powerful um, computers and AI kind of algorithms that are reading all sorts of stuff, and they are actually very predictive, and there is machine learning. These soft, this software learns as it goes. So I, I would agree with you. It's not going away. Um, whether, how, how, what happens next, the next step, is fascinating. And I know, you know, I think you and I spoke of it once before um, on this radio show. There are pros and cons to it, and there's elements of it that, that I have some discomfort with. But it is there, and I think everyone needs to know that there's a very good chance you may you know, um, apply into a, a Fortune 500 company and be faced with this very process. Yeah, I'd love to hear what listeners think on this. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We're on Career Talk. This is Dr. Don Graham. We're talking to Ross McPherson and talking about 2018 trends. So the use of artificial intelligence or robots or machines or other things to and, – and here's – they're doing a lot of things. So one, they're texting appointments. I've even seen texting interviews – which to me is it blows my mind, um, but maybe that's just because I'm old and, and that's just not the way we did it, Ross. Um, but but also the machines actually picking the candidates. And there's another thing that that's also trending along with this, which is kind of gender masking. So they're ha- they're removing from the resume names or other things that would indicate gender, and actually using f- voice kind of um, distortion techniques on phone screens so you don't know if it's a male or female candidate. So all of these things are coming out. And I think with good intention and trying to get you know, better matches and match people with the right jobs and, and trying to reduce the bias, but I'm not sure that these are the answers. But if you're listening and you are in recruiting and using these or you've been a candidate and you've experienced this or you just have an opinion on where we're going in the world of hiring, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. But right now, we are going to go to our pre-break quiz. And yes, there's a quiz. (laughs) There's a quiz? Okay. If you're like most Americans, you lost half of your what last year? If you're like most Americans... You lost half of your what 
last year. I think you know, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. We'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Graham. Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. Hey, for more great advice or to find out who's going to be on next week's show, you can subscribe to my blog, dawnoncareers.com, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We are taking our calls live if it's Thursday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And we are here with Ross McPherson, who is resume guru, resume writer extraordinaire. I have so many names for you, Ross, because you could just go on and on. So uh, That's why I love being on the show. Crowd favorite and our, our favorite can, uh, Canadian. But where can people reach you? They could probably be the easiest is uh, through my website at yourcareerquest.com. You can even email me, Ross, R-O-S-S, at yourcareerquest.com. And I know you love it when I do this. I do. I have a phone. You and have you a can phone. call me toll free, one 426 8548. And I will actually pick it up. So classic, Ross. <laughs> I'm old school. What can I say? Yeah, it's like it's like before artificial intelligence took over the hiring process. <laughs> so hey, we're talking all about trends in 2018 in the job search and hiring process. So if you've tuned in, you're on the right show. If you're thinking about making a change in 2018, but it's also open call. So if you've got a question about the job search, a tip or advice that you want to share, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or maybe you want Ross to redo your LinkedIn headline on air. He's here to do that for you. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So a couple of things in the, the expected job growth here are some of the places where people are going to be hiring a lot this year. Finance, sales, and customer service, technology, healthcare, skilled labor, the need for people like construction and plumbers. And honestly, Ross, I think if I could do it all over again, I, I might consider going into plumbing. They make a lot of money. There is no shortage of work, and they make a very good living. And here's the deal. Unlike us, where people toggle, do I really need Ross to help me with my resume? Can I do it myself? When you need a plumber, you need a plumber. Yep. That is it. It's it's a Sunday. It's premiums. It's holiday. That's it. They're in high demand. So here are some jobs that are expected to actually decline in 2018. So if these are on your list to pursue, just knowing the market might be helpful in designing your strategy. So publishing and journalism, journalism of course, because things are going the way of online. Um, farming, oil and gas certain segments of manufacturing that are going to be automated. So I don't think many of those are a surprise, but just because we're talking about trends, I thought it was worth talking about. So another thing that I wanted to get back to when we were talking about the job search, one of the things that has actually been now um, qualified in a survey is that recruiters, hiring managers actually like it when you follow up to an online application. Now, this has been for years. You've seen no phone calls, please, please do not follow up. And I think for years, Ross, you and I have been saying, hey, you've got to stand out because what we know is that for every job posted online, they get at least 250 resumes. Mm -hmm. And even if your resume is stellar, the perfect fit, one, you might get sucked out by the applicant tracking system and never seen by human eyes or two you might get lost in a pile of okay resumes if somebody's sort of flipping through so if you don't follow up how do you stand out but how do you recommend people follow up ross because this you know this can go one of two ways it's it is really you've got to be really really respectful of the person you're following up with and um and it's it is a tricky thing to do and do well but i would be really brief um, I've heard of uh, different, different approaches, and it, it really does depend on your comfort level and even if um, at the size of the company and so forth. But usually, I mean, if you can find an actual person to and, you know, dig deep and find the actual person you're going to follow up with, it's really just a respectful, very brief. You're not writing a book. You're not telling them your life story. You're not reapplying. You're, you're not, you know, and I've seen those kind of follow-up um, letters. You really are quite brief and respectful about it. That's really my, my best recommendation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Being very brief. And you said something very important, finding that person's name. Now, this yep. is so much easier 
to do in today's world. I mean, between LinkedIn and all of the social media. So so do dig a little deeper because it's likely you can actually find that person on LinkedIn or through your network. And I also think something else I've seen in the stats are thank you notes. Thank you notes are still alive oh, yeah. and kicking. And one in four actually send them after a phone screen or an interview. And so this is a very easy way to stand out. Absolutely. And so do it. And people ask, should I write it in a card? Should I write it in an email? What should I do? My vote is email. And the reason is because it's fast and it will get to the right person versus snail mail, especially if it's a huge corporation. It might take weeks to get there. It might never get there. And while it's a very nice thing to do and people love receiving mail, that's not a bill or an advertisement. Email, I think, is the way to go. Short, sweet, and tailored. Tailored, yep, tailored to something that actually happened in, in the interview or the phone screen. I really enjoyed hearing about X or I really see X being a good fit with my Y, whatever it is. But please tailor them. Scott in Wisconsin, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today, Scott? I want to go back to the artificial intelligence um, discussion. Yeah. I, I hire people and I also, being a 55-year-old guy, might have to have a, job, a new job someday too with consolidation. I want to go back, you know, in, when I started in the business world at 22, it was... You sell yourself, you dress for success, you talk to these people. As, as, I, as we go on, there's keyword searches in resumes. There's certain things that things are picking out to make you a better candidate. I'm wondering in the artificial intelligence game, is there a strategy for me getting a job where I would put in certain keywords in my, whatever, my resume that the artificial intelligence end will pick out easier, and I'm kind of beating the system? And I'm maybe not telling the truth. Yeah, isn't it? It's interesting, Scott, because the first thing that happens anytime a new technology comes out is there's always those people are like, all right, how can I beat the system? How can I hack it? So, yeah, it's just a matter of time before people learn how to work within the system now that they know it exists. And it's the same thing that happened with with applicant tracking systems or ATS, as they're called for for short. People recognize that they could literally on their resume create this whole like paragraph of keywords and make it white text so it didn't show up on the resume, but it would make them skyrocket to the top of the applicant tracking system and people are like, wow, these people are getting through because they're doing this technique. So yeah, I think it's just a matter of time before people figure out how to hack the system. Um, Ross, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, the, the temptation is always there to sort of, you know, play the system a little bit. Um, I will say from what I've understood of how some of this AI works, it's a lot smarter than that. And so you can try to play it. I mean, really what they're trying to, a lot of what at the basic level, a lot of this AI is really comparing. Um, they'll take everything in an application these days. And, and as technology and automation takes over, it's taking a lot more. So it's taking the actual words and keywords and so forth out of your resume, matching it to job requirements of a posting, whether it's a posting or an even more comprehensive um, job description and so forth on the other end that we don't actually get to see as an applicant. And they're comparing those, plus they're taking you know, transcripts from a video interview, for example, and they're taking a number of other things. And if there is a video interview and it has a facial recognition and facial assessment on it, it's reading for attributes and confidence and all sorts of stuff. These AIs, it's really, it's hard to trick them. I'm going to be honest. If you do a really good job my recommendation, do a really good job of aligning what you have to offer to what they need in that type of role and at that type of company, then you're going to be, you know, you're putting the odds in your favor. If you try to, as, as Don said, hack the system, quote unquote, I, I think you're approaching it probably from the wrong way. I got a great way to hack the system though, Scott. So I'm going to share that. It's a secret. Actually, it's not a secret. I say it every week. Networking. <laughs> Networking is the avoid the system. Avoid the system. Just bypass the system entirely. And the for 2018, the stats are getting even stronger. That companies are relying more and more on employer referral programs, and there's there's a reason for that. One, the employees are a better fit in that they tend to stay longer, do better, and they already know somebody or maybe multiple people in the firm. So that Mm -hmm. that's kind of a plus. But two, it's lower competition because. You know, you can network into a company before the job's even posted. And what we know is that employee referrals end up being about 7% of applicants. And if you think about that compared to the 250 resumes that they're getting, I mean, that 
is a better way, in my opinion, to hack the system. Scott, thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk, 844-WARDEN, 844-942-7866. Shanna in California, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Hey, Shanna. Yeah, so I had a question regarding following up once you apply for a job online. Yeah. So who exactly do you follow up with? Typically, there's not a direct contact. So what I normally do is I try to see what team I'm applying for and then search on LinkedIn who might be the, the manager who I can speak directly with if I get, can't get in contact with HR. Very smart. And I think I think that's exactly what we're saying to do is to be stealth about it. So a lot of times, if you're applying online like LinkedIn, the actual recruiter will, will be accessible to that job. And I think that's getting pretty typical nowadays and you can just get the name that way but I like your thinking that you can actually look at the team and who else on LinkedIn is working there and on that team or in that location and work it that way. Ross, do you have any other secrets for getting to the right person to follow up with? I would. I, I hate to say I can't find any, I don't have any other secrets. I would just echo that. I think, um, Shanna, you're doing exactly what I would recommend. Do a little bit of research, dig, find, you know, just use your use your intelligence and find the you know, find the area that you're, you're potentially, you know, applying into. And uh, on the recruiter side, very often you can reach the recruiters because it's a little more transparent that way. But you're doing exactly what I'd recommend. And, and kind of on that note, but sort of a different combination of approaches would be to look at um, when you apply online, look at who you know at the company. And it could be in the same department. It could be in a different department. It could be, you know, anybody from the, the CEO to the janitor. But you probably know, especially if it's a larger company, somebody in that company. Maybe it's somebody you went to school with. Maybe it's somebody you used to be neighbors with. But find somebody and just ask them because they have the ability to tap into HR recruiting or maybe even the hiring manager, depending on what role they have in the company. And they can just ask. And the reason this is so helpful, aside from the fact that at least make sure your resume gets looked at is because sometimes there's a hiring freeze or sometimes they have a strong internal candidate and you for you know on Unfortunately, you just don't have a shot because they know who they're going to hire and they had to put this job ad up for legal reasons. And so you don't want to be waiting around thinking, wow, I'm the perfect candidate. I have everything they want when they have an internal candidate or they've decided to move the job from Chicago to L.A. I mean, for whatever reason. So having an inside candidate or inside referral, even if they're not willing to pass you along, that can ask those questions can be super helpful. Thank you so much for giving us a call, Shanna. We always are here for you on Thursdays, noon Eastern, live, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We're here with Ross McPherson, and we're going to answer our pre-break quiz. So if you're like most Americans, you lost half of your what last year? You lost half of your what? Dion, PG-13. <laughs> I don't even know what the non PG. I don't either. I don't either. You, you just had that face, and I was well, just I like, "I had that face because I I have to go first, and I know she doesn't have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> so mine's going to seem crazy, but now she's got all this time to think. I have one. Okay, it's still not right. It's not. <laughs> I'm going to say they lost half their hair. Damn, <laughs> damn you, Dion. <laughs> crazy that was your answer too michelle i take it well yeah i was unfortunately and i'm not just saying that okay i'm just gonna gonna come up with something else i'm gonna put this out there that it is sort of show related oh so oh man why do you do that to us that never happens (laughs) no it sometimes happens this week it happens your contacts you lost half your contact, like your your network. Yeah, your network. My, Thank you. Not, my, your, my, not your eye contact. Well, my first thing was eye because you were wearing your glasses today. So I thought, <laughs> well, maybe that's a personal thing, Michelle. She lost all Actually, of her contacts. Yes. <laughs> Ross, I know you're Canadian, but do you have a guess for what, what well, Americans as, lost? As, as much as as much as I love Dion's, because um, it cre- I mean half half their hair, Dion. Not just a little bit, but I mean, just everybody on average. So like, so like, this guy lost all his hair, but this guy over here. (laughs) He was doing math. I was thinking the majority of Americans now lost half their hair, and that's a really disturbing visual. (laughs) Uh, Ross is never coming here again in person. Or I'm going to wear a hat. So (laughs) I'm going to go. Oddly enough, the only thing that occurred to me was, and it's sort of depressing, but uh, disposable income. Oh wow! No, it's mm. not that depressing. Okay, thanks. Ross went serious. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's it's yeah no. Okay, if you're like, if you're like most Americans, you forfeited 
half your vacation last year. Oh. Half your eligible vacation I days. Didn't. Not Dion. <laughs> Not Dion. But you didn't lose half your hair either. So. Well, if you're losing half your hair, you need a vacation. So. Yeah, exactly. But vacation guilt, it's, it seems to be indigenous to the U.S. where we freely walk away from $66 billion in benefits, unlike countries like Spain, Brazil, the UAE, who took 100% of their vacation. And they get 30 days. On average, yeah. we get about 15 days here. And we only took half of that. So the reason this is my PSA, this would be the year of the vacation. Take a mental health day, take take in a long weekend, but please take your vacation days. Yeah, I because like that. We already have fewer than most of the rest of the world, so please use them. Hey, 844-WARDEN 844-942-7866. You've got a question, comment, or tip. Today's open calls, listener's choice. We've got Ross McPherson here who has awesome answers for resumes, LinkedIn, and everything in between. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. you like more great advice, you can follow my blog, dawnoncareers.com. So let's talk about cover letters, Ross. So again, we're just going to say this because we've said this a lot. They're still needed. They're still needed. If you've heard the stat, 17% get read. Here's my thought because What I know is somebody who hires, you read them after you find a good resume. So thinking if I'm getting 250 resumes, it's probably likely about 17% are good enough to get to the yes pile, which means I'm going to go back and I'm going to read your cover letter. But if you're in that 17%, you want to have a good cover letter. Absolutely. No, there's still, I mean, the, the, the num- you get hear different numbers out there, but I, I still hear it. And, and exactly as you said, um, whether it's recruiters, whether it's, it's HR people, um, depending on how the processes work at certain companies, but they're still reading cover letters. But I think they're reading them in different ways. And I will say this to, just in terms of advice, because there's bad advice out there on cover letters. If you are going to include a cover letter, and we both recommend you do, put the effort in to put something really great together. It's concise. It's to the point. Um, it should showcase the best of what you offer suitable to that role the way your resume would. But please don't make the mistake. And I know we've talked about this of just sending some generic something or other, like that's, that's not adding any value. If you're going to add the cover letter, make it add some value. So one of the things I did read about it is that it's getting shorter. So, yeah. so add value, but keep it short. So, so is there a formula you have, Ross? I'll tell you how I typically do them. Um, it's, a, it's a strong opening line. Um, I mean, when I say a strong opening line, you, like none of this in response to the posting I saw on LinkedIn, I would hear with enclosed, you're going to put them into a coma real fast. Um, so you want to open with something strong. If it's, you know, I'm a senior systems analyst with 15 years experience in MBA and blah, blah, blah. For the past 15 years, I've been working here and here. I think I have exactly what you're looking for in this role. Like really hit them hard with that opening line. And I've literally sometimes um, gone into bullet points in the next section. If there's three sections to a cover letter, the opening, the middle section where you kind of sell it, and then a close and call to action, that middle section, you can use bullet points. I love them because I trust me, nowadays, just to, along the lines of, you know, cover letters are getting shorter, people don't want to read long paragraphs. And the old cover letter format was great, huge, long paragraphs. No one wants to read those. So if you, I've literally sometimes in that second section, after that strong opening, skip a line, and then here's what I offer, colon, and then bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, and they're very brief and concise and to the point, maybe five at most. And then a, a really strong close and a, and a call to action, like, please call me at this number or I'll follow up with you or something like that. And you can, they're, they're really concise and really to the point. Mm-hmm. And going back to what we said earlier, very targeted towards the audience. Absolutely. So those five bullet points, I mean, one easy thing to do is look at the job description and look at the, the first couple of things they say they're looking for in a candidate and find your accomplishments that align with those. Absolutely. What's the best you offer for that role? That's what you got to highlight. Mm-hmm. And one of the trends that I see is that now cover letters are going towards the way of just being in the email body. So for example, oh, if yeah. you're if you're emailing a, a resume, not putting a, a cover letter separate in an attachment, but just putting it right there in the body of the email. Well, the beauty exactly, the beauty is if you're emailing your resume, they've they've opened the email, you've got them reading. Why not make that your cover letter? Jump right in, and I would make it even more concise. In a perfect world, if you can really grab their attention and pull them in with some really concise, strong, you know, a strong email, and not make them scroll to read more, you've really captured their attention. Then they're much more inclined 
to open up the attachment, your resume. Mm-hmm. Hey, you've got a job search trend you're wondering about, or maybe you've gotten some bad advice. You have a question on that. Today, it's Open Calls Listener's Choice, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. And we're here with Ross McPherson, who is resume guru extraordinaire. And he's here to answer your questions all hour, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So we're talking about trends for 2018. Ross, is there, is there anything you're seeing that, that we haven't talked about yet? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of tag on to the, the, the sort of automation idea that you had mentioned earlier, because it's, it, it's opening up. We'd, we sort of opened up the scary parts of it, the, the AI and video interviewing, which can sound very intimidating and can be kind of, you know, people have, have questionable opinions on. But one benefit, one side note to it that I thought was fascinating, I read that Johnson & Johnson has now got a very, what they call a trans, uh, transparent application platform. Yes. What it basically means is um, just like, it, and I think this is fantastic for applicants because this has been an issue that people have struggled with for, for decades, is just like you can track a package, a UPS package or something like that on your phone through the process of it's been, it's been the order was taken and it's now going to be at your door in the next three hours. If we can do that from our phone, why are we still sitting there going, you know, wh- what do I do? How do I find out if, where I am in the application process? So now they're sort of opening up the technology and the automation to say, here's where you are in the process. Here's where the process is along. So I think that level of transparency is going to actually be a real, I think it's a wonderful thing for, for, for job seekers. I think it's just fantastic. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Phenomenal. It's called the Shine Platform, yeah. and it essentially creates this sense of transparency in the hiring process that we've never seen before. It's always been behind closed doors and yeah. very secretive. And am I being considered, or are they laughing at me at the table? Am I even, like, you know, did my resume even get seen in the process? So so Johnson Johnson tends to be a, a, a leader in trends like this. So I really hope this is one that catches on, because I think it's going to be great for job seekers, and I'm excited to see what comes out of it. We're going to go to Mary in Missouri. Mary, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Thank you so much. I'm just starting to uh, look for another job, and uh, I'm going on these different job websites, and there's a few that that give you prompts to enter um, your, your resume on there by answering questions. Is it best to do that or scan in your own resume? So, yeah, this is an interesting question, and this came up in the trends as I was researching this show too, Mary, that candidates are actually kind of getting fed up of have, having to fill out long online applications, plus upload their resume, plus upload a cover letter, and they're starting to get really crabby about that, which I can certainly understand. And I know why companies did it. Companies did it because they wanted to kind of get all that information from each candidate in, in the same format to make it easier to read, to make it more objective. Of course, they're all collecting data and trends and trying to report on that. So there are reasons for that, but it is it is kind of tedious. So, um, and here's the deal, especially with applicant tracking systems, and you don't know if a company is using it or not, but certain formats don't play well with them. So it could be that they, they only accept PDFs and you upload a Word document. And so all of your fields are in the wrong place and you get disqualified for the sheer fact that the system isn't compatible with what you use. So since you don't know that, if you're really serious about applying for a job and this is a job that you want, I would say you'd want to try and go to, through their application process to make sure it gets to the right people in the right format. And you can also upload your resume if it asks for that as well. But I think that's one of the benefits of, of going through the system. Now, this is another good reason, Mary, why it doesn't make sense for people to apply to to dozens and dozens of jobs online because it takes a lot of time. And so this is why you really want to be targeted in the ones you pick. But Ross, agree, disagree? I totally 100% agree. Uh, those, those online fields as as tedious as they are, you, it guarantees that your content is getting in the way, in the format that they want. So it's, it's frustrating, but if it is, just to Don's point, if it's a job you really want, if it's just the perfect one, put the extra time in. So. Oh, that's- that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, and well, you just you. yeah you just don't know, and I know it takes the extra time, but like I said, if, if you want it to be seen by human eyes. But just to the points earlier in the show, also 
try and find the right person to follow up with or somebody in your network who can let you know that that resume made it to the right person and at least got reviewed by Humanize. So best of luck to you, Mary. Thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. Hey, it's Open Call, Listener's Choice. We're taking your calls all hour at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Ross McPherson talking about 2018 trends. So one of the things that has been happening in the U.S. over the last year has been gaining momentum is that you no longer, in some states, in some cities, it hasn't passed universally yet, but in some states, you don't have to disclose your salary when asked. So usually when you apply for a job, they ask in the application for your salary or, you know, and, and th- what they're trying to do, Ross, is make or make up for all of the, the um, gender differences in pay. And I think that's going to take a long time. But I think it's a very positive step forward because basically what they're saying to organizations is you should have a salary ban for this job you're posting and you shouldn't be asking the candidate because it just perpetuates if you have a low salary, the salary to continue to be yeah. low. So are they are they doing that in Canada? Oh yes, oh yes, they're doing the exact same. It's starting to happen. And I, I again, I'm 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 always I'm always on the candidate side. To be honest with you, it's just the world I work in, uh, and I think it's it's much better for the candidates. I think it does because there are always circumstances where your your previous or current salary is going to work against you. Not because you're not qualified to do the work, but you know, regardless of what your previous or current salary is, if you are qualified and the best qualified to do that job you ought to be paid accordingly. And that's just how I, and if it can help with that, I'm all for it. Okay. Yep. So ask if you're, I mean, find, actually find out if that's happening in your city or state, because that's going to be, that's going to be important. We're going to go to Holly in Tennessee and Holly, you're wrapping up the show. So we're going to ask you to be very brief with your question. Welcome to Career Talk. Absolutely. Thank you for taking my question, Don. I got a question on one of these online systems that asked me, was I close enough within proximity to the office? And um, I live in Knoxville, and the job is in Denver, Colorado, and I'm actually seeking to relocate to Denver, Colorado. So I really didn't kind of know how to answer that because I thought, well, of course, I'd be willing. I will be close enough if I relocate. But at this very moment, of course, I'm not, I'm not you know, living next door. So how is that question to be answered? Yep, great, great question. So we're going we're gonna to frame this under you're doing a long-distance job. Uh, job search. Here's here's what I'm going to say, Ross, and I'm just going to ask you to quickly agree or disagree. If you yep. know you're moving somewhere um, and you know you're going to be there, I think in your job search, then you need to position yourself as already there. That being said, you have to be willing to go out there for interviews. You have to be willing to show up if they ask you to show up. And you have to have a compelling reason. I'm not saying to lie, but I'm saying that y- when you talk to the employer, you say, I've already got one foot out here. I'm, I've already signed a lease. I already you know, am, have moved in with my my cousin, whatever it is. But I think if you're going to do a long distance job search and you're committed to moving there and you have a date in mind when you're going to move there, then that's the way to play it. Ross? Uh, I would agree, unless you can otherwise at some other point in the application or, or online process, make it very clear that you're willing to, but they might miss that. Yeah. And they might miss it or they might they might just write you off. Yeah. So. There's the thing. But if you're looking at 16 different states and stuff like that, I mean, then you're not clearly committed and you're not moving there. That's a completely different story. So, so Holly, I hope that helped. And if that com- I've not seen that in a job application, actually. So um, that's pretty interesting. They must get a lot of out-of-state, out I'm guessing, applicants. But, Holly, thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. Ross, so great having you. Where can people reach you? They can reach me. Uh, my website is yourcareerquest.com. Uh, email me ross at yourcareerquest.com and uh, the phone number if you want to actually reach me and chat with me is one eight seven seven four two six eight five four eight. I'd love to help. We love that. We love having you on the show, Ross. It's love been it. so Thank great you. talking 2018 trends with you. Michelle and Dion, always fun as it is every week. And to all of our callers and listeners, we are here for you and you guys make this show great. So thank you so much for giving us a call and for tuning in. If you want more great advice, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. And we will see you next time. You've been listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM Channel 111.